Blog Talk Radio. This is the Mike Savilla Radio Program for Thursday, May 15, 2014. This is episode 328. Coming up in just a little bit, our chat tonight will be with Tammy Newman, who's the host of the Blog Talk Radio show Conversations in Care. We will be talking about and promoting this weekend's roundtable discussion on the topic of dementia, which will take place on Sunday, May 18, 2014, at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Get more information at conversations-in-care.com. Looking forward to this chat here tonight. Thanks for everybody for joining me. So let's do this, America. Episode 328 of the Mike Savilla Radio Program starts right now. Welcome to the show that is passionate about medicine and social media. This is the Mike Savilla Radio Program. I am your host, Dr. Mike Savilla, the one-man social media machine for seven years running. That's right, kids. I encourage you to check out the website at drmikesavilla.com. What is this show about? Uh, I tell people this is commentary about medicine, social media, and life, and also some great interviews like the one we have tonight. Today is Thursday, May 15, 2014. It is 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. And here at Family Medicine Rocks World Headquarters, it is 53 degrees Fahrenheit. That's right. It's been raining here this week. I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining because I do remember the 5 and 10 below that I was complaining about in January. So this is fine. So all you people complaining about the rain, just forget about it, okay? Uh, so how's your week been going there, kids? You know, I know I haven't had a show for a while, and I apologize about that. It's just life gets in the way, my typical excuses. <laughs> but I want to thank everybody out there for your supportive tweets and Facebook messages and emails and texts about coming back and doing more podcasts and doing more of these interviews and commentary and all that stuff. I, I will. I'll have to put it in my schedule to, to do that, but uh, thanks uh, for everybody out there for your support of all my social media projects. I do have an exciting interview coming up uh, in just a few minutes. Uh, it is with uh, Tammy Newman, and uh, she also is a host here on the Block Talk Radio Network. Her show is called uh, Conversations in Care. You can get there by going to blocktalkradio.com slash conversations in care. They're also on Twitter, at Care Radio. Uh, also on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash conversations and care, but their website, you can get all the information there. It is conversations hyphen in hyphen care 
Uh, and uh, she is a, a certified dementia practitioner, which I'll ask her about in just a few minutes. She's been in the long-term uh, healthcare industry for 15 years, and uh, we might have time to touch on it a little bit, but uh, she's caregiver to her son with type 1 diabetes. Um, and uh, her program, uh, which is very entertaining, I've been uh, listening to a lot of them, uh, started uh, last year, so I encourage everybody out there to subscribe uh, to that show. Uh, but uh, coming up this weekend, which we will talk about a lot, um, uh, I was uh, graciously invited to be a part of that, uh, a, uh, a roundtable discussion on the subject of dementia. It will be Sunday, May 18, 2014, at 3 p.m. Eastern time. And you can go to their website to register for that. You have to register for that. Uh, it is a free event, but uh, you can register for that, and you will get the link and the invite uh, and all that good stuff, uh, which we will talk about in just a few minutes. But first, I do want to thank Blog Talk Radio for having me be a featured host on this network. I have no idea how that happened, uh, but uh, thank you so much for that. I've been a social media hobbyist since 2005, and if you're curious, yes, I am a real doctor. I am a family physician in full-time private practice, uh, meaning I see patients in the hospital and in the office and in the nursing home, uh, which we may touch on as well during our conversation, here in beautiful but rainy northeastern Ohio. Uh, so I have all that stuff out of the way, so uh, we'll kind of bring in our guest here. So while you're listening to the Mike Savella Radio Program, a proud member of the ProMed Network of Podcasts. You can get there by going to ProMedNetwork.com. My guest will be coming back. We will be starting our conversation right after this. That's right. Social media through the eyes of a family physician. This is the Mike Savilla radio program. Uh, check out drmikesavilla.com. And uh, on the line with us, uh, very gracious to have her uh, on the show here this evening, certified dementia practitioner, Tammy Newman's on the line. Uh, thank you so much for the time this evening. Oh, absolutely. It is my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, so... Um, we are going to talk about this roundtable uh, conversation uh, this weekend, which I'm very excited to be a part of. Thank you so much for the invitation for that. Um, but I do want to talk about, just by introducing yourself uh, to my audience, um, and my first question for you is a certified dementia practitioner. What is that, and how is that defined, and, and can you tell me a little bit about you know, the process for this uh, certification? Absolutely. I, uh, I've been a certified dementia practitioner for about four years now, and it was a path that I was really interested in, mainly because of all the work that I've done through the years within the long-term care industry. So I actually started in the industry as an activity director. So as an activity director, it was a lot of hands-on time with my residents. So it was 
whether it was something where I was doing um, sensory stimulation or we were doing actual activities or you know, reading or planning things for them, that's what I started out as. And as I kind of worked my way through the industry, I uh, did a lot of marketing and admissions and spent a lot of time in, in nursing homes and around residents that had dementia. And one of the last actual facilities that I worked in actually was a memory care community. And throughout my 15 years, and I look back, some of my first, the first time that I spent when working with someone with dementia, some of the first things that we learned was reality orientation. And, and when we learned that, uh, I saw that there were some things with that approach that really weren't working well for the resident or for myself. And as I got into this industry more and started learning more, I learned there were some really great techniques out there for us to work really well in communicating with someone with dementia. And I wanted to really be able to kind of get more information, get certified so that I can consistently help if it's a family member or someone in the beginning stages, um, a staff member to really work successfully with someone. and. Uh, so that's why I decided to do this. And to speak specifically to that certification, there's a couple of options or tracks that you can do to become certified. So if it's uh, the type of thing where you already have a four-year degree or you're a registered nurse, basically all you need at this point, at that point is that, that degree and then three years of experience working with geriatrics. The other option is also to take the class, and if you have a cert certification, like if you're a certified activity professional or maybe a physical therapist or a, PT, um, a PTA, a physical therapy assistant, uh, you would have that, and then one year of experience within um, the senior population. Or the, the last one where you would um, also have to do, you'd have to take a class, then you'd have to have about three years experience. Um, also, some you know letters of recommendation, that type of thing, and um, uh, and then you can get certified. And then every two years, like a lot of certifications, there's a, about 20 hours of CEU uh, credits that I do have to maintain to, to keep the certification. Um, and and I, you know, I, I enjoy um, working as well with uh, older people, the geriatric population, and, and uh, um, we'll talk about it during this show. But, uh, um, you know, being involved in long-term care um, is not something that I would think is, would be something that's very common. Um, what kind of drew you towards long-term care and working with older adults and working with geriatrics? Is that something that you um, always wanted to do? Was there a certain experience in, in your life that kind of kind of guided you that way? You know, it, it, that's a really kind of a funny question because when I was uh, actually growing up and going to high school, I was really into music, and I actually ended up going to college at uh, – Bowling Green State University as a music major. So I was a music ed major. I had no thought process of being in the medical field, healthcare, whatsoever. So that wasn't even something that I thought of. And at, at some point uh, during my, my life track, I was married, and it was in uh, the first, first year of my marriage, and I ended up 
having a part-time job where I worked um, at a um, – it was actually at a real estate office, which if you know me, that was just like so far from <laughs> anything that I thought was fun. <laughs> So I um, ended up, I was, while I'm sitting you know, in the office, I was looking through the, the one ads, and I happened to see this, this ad for a position. It said, do you like music? Do you enjoy playing games? Do you enjoy planning activities? And I'm like, yes, I like doing all this stuff. So, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I know. So I ended up, so my first gig in this arena was with um, – it was an independent living senior community as their activity director. And it was something that I just fell in love with because I, that creative piece, I was able to do arts and crafts. I was able to actually play my saxophone for the residents. We could do poetry. We could do, go on outings. And it was just such a wonderful experience to be able to spend that one-on-one -on -one time. And from there, that's where my love just kind of kept growing, and I was able to not only I've worked in independent, assisted living, nursing homes, licensed home for the aged, um, memory care, and I actually even did a stint uh, at, in a private ambulance company as well. Wow. And then I've also, yeah, I, that's kind of a crazy story too, but, you know, <laughs> the... <laughs> But, you know, all of that is what has really kind of, I've gained this knowledge about the senior care industry, and I've just really enjoyed all the interactions that I've had with my residents and even more so with, their, with the family members as well. Well, I, um, I, for me, I remember even back in, in, uh, in medical school and in, in my residency and uh, um, uh, I always thought myself a little bit of a freak, but the, for different reasons. But um, I, I always looked uh, forward to um, the, those geriatric rotations and and uh, and working with uh, these patients and people, um, not only from from a health uh, medical standpoint because you know like the physiology and all that stuff are a lot different in older people, uh, but uh, the appreciation that I had for um, you know. Uh, a lot of the wisdom that they have, a lot of the stories that they have, a lot of the common sense that they have. Uh, and I would talk to them about uh, growing up and what it was like for them growing up. And, and, and that really got me um, uh, to appreciate uh, you know, that population a lot better. Um, and, and when I did that, I got to learn a lot more about their medical type of things. And, and uh, uh, dementia um, uh, you know, was... Uh, something that I started uh, reading and looking at and, and um, uh, recognizing um, in, in these patients too, and it's um, um, I, I don't know if if, if um, uh, probably it's a great question for you is as far as you know the the public perception uh, of this of, of dementia and Alzheimer's and and in my experience when I talk to people and patients, um, uh, you know a lot of people are, are very scared of it. Uh, they're, they're more scared of, of dementia than they are of cancer. Um, um, I don't know if, if, if you've kind of seen that attitude when you talk with, with residents or families or the public on, on, a, on a topic like dementia. You know, it, I think it's changed a little bit, very little, but it still is a disease that is really not talked about. 
it still is a disease, exactly how you said, that people are very scared, you know, um, I, I, nobody wants to have this disease. Nobody wants to have their mind fail them. This is, you know, it's something that we use every day in every parts of our lives. And, you know, it is very scary. And, and one of the things that we often see is someone will get a diagnosis of dementia and then their friends slowly fall by the wayside because their friends really don't, you know, part of it is, I, you know, I I don't I I don't want to catch this which sometimes I'm un, I'm you wow. know I question how do they get the concept of you know uh, catching this but you know they don't know how to now communicate with that person you know it's something that when you're seeing it firsthand and knowing that you know my gosh this could be something that that could hit me as well I think it's we, you know, start to see things differently. So it is still something that people are very scared of. I think there's a lot of confusion around the concept of dementia as well. And I think where some of this might start to fade away is if we really are able to educate people about dementia. And, you know, and as we look at the the growing numbers of people getting diagnosed with dementia, it, it becomes scary, especially as the baby boomer population is getting to that point where, you know, they're turning 65. And we could really have so many people affected by this disease, you know, whether you're the person that, that has, you know, has been diagnosed with it or the family members and caregivers that are, are caring for someone with this disease. So, you know, I, I would love to say that this is a disease that, that has kind of come out of the dark ages at this point in time, but it still really hasn't as much. You know, I think there's some great organizations out there that are doing a great job, you know, such as the Alzheimer's Association and the Alzheimer's Foundation as well. So I think they're, we're starting to really educate people, and I think as our boomers age, they want to know more as well. So I think, I think we're going to start to bring it out of that dark ages. Um, I guess on the line is uh, Tammy Newman, certified dementia practitioner um, and uh, host of the uh, Block Talk Radio Show Conversations and Care here on the network, um, and also moderator uh, for uh, this weekend's uh, roundtable discussion on dementia, which will be Sunday, May 18, 2014, at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. And you can get more information and register uh, at uh, conversations-in-care.com. Um, so Tammy, let, let's uh, um, let's talk about this uh, podcast that you have, and, and I guess part of your idea with with getting um, uh, people to know about it and to tell your story and to increase education uh, in the public is is the use of is the use of social media and and to create your radio show. Um, tell me a little bit about. You know, um, you know, your vision for what you wanted to do with, with the podcast or even the use of social media to, in general, just, just to kind of share your story and to raise awareness about uh, dementia and other long-term care issues. Absolutely. Uh, a little over a year ago, um, my life kind of came to a crossroads. And you, you mentioned a little bit earlier, I, you know, I have a, I'm a parent of a child with type 1 diabetes. And when he was diagnosed, I was working at a private ambulance company, and I was working 50, 60 plus hours a week, and I was not able to maintain that kind of schedule and, as a single parent, take care of him the way he should be. 
So I knew that, number one, there was something that I needed to do to really make this successful for, for the whole family. So I decided to take all the education and training that I have with dementia and start doing trainings and presentations. And, and I do that with um, a lot of care communities. I also do dementia coaching with families. But one of the things that I also wanted to do um, because I've always loved radio. It's something that I've wanted to, to do for a long time. I wanted to be able to start helping people to navigate the long-term care industry. So my, init my initial thought process is that I really wanted to help people because oftentimes when someone is looking for a nursing home or an assisted living for their loved one, it comes at a time when there's a crisis that's happened. Maybe mom fell, now she's in the hospital, now she needs rehab at a nursing home. What do we do? We haven't been looking for one. I mean, that's not, it's not in our top ten list of things to, to go out and do on a Saturday afternoon is to look for the nursing home that, that we may need someday. So a lot of people were coming to me when I was in the industry, and it was such you know, an immediate need. They, I have to get out of the hospital within in 24 hours. So I never felt like, as an industry, we really helped families to understand what each of these types of facilities were. If you needed insurance, if you needed to pay privately, what were some of those things that people really needed to understand? So that's where some of that, my initial thought process was. I really wanted to talk about that. I wanted to start talking about how we can communicate differently with people with dementia because that's a huge key for one, helping families to really have some really meaningful conversations with their loved ones or communication with them and helping them to understand that, you know, this is a disease process that's damaging the brain and not that they're out to do something to you. This is a definite process that's happening in the brain. And helping them to understand how to communicate sometimes will help keep that person in their home a little bit longer. So helping to, everybody to kind of identify these skills that they can really work with. And then, as I mentioned, you know, I, I started trying to get at least one show a month that was related to type 1 diabetes. And, and to be honest with you, that was purely selfish for me because at the time there was a lot that I didn't know. And to be honest with you, two and a half years later, there's still a lot more to learn about that disease. And it was a way for me to learn to help my son, to educate the whole family. And, you know, I've been introduced to such a, a great community, the Diabetes Online community, and, and it's been phenomenal to be able to, to now network with these people. Uh, yeah, I heard a bunch of your shows, and, and uh, they—you've uh, had a lot of superstars uh, from that uh, community, and, and I can tell you that. I mean, even from my standpoint, when I got started in in uh, in social media, that the diabetes online community is just super. Uh, there are super people to get to know, and and to um, they have really taught a lot of other people out there how to how <clears throat> uh, to be advocates for themselves, be advocates for people. Um, with their diagnosis, um, and they're just really fun people, um, and, and uh, those those shows are, are uh, uh, enjoyable as well. As I, I would imagine, it hasn't been very difficult to uh, to get those people on your show to talk about diabetes, to talk about advocacy type issues. I wouldn't think. 
You know what? They have been awesome. Every single person that I've approached, they've been um, very eager to be on the show. Um, this this community is is really supportive of one one another and really supportive of understanding that. You know, sometimes this disease is a, a disease of burnout. Sometimes it's you're very frustrated because you you try to do everything, but your numbers are not where you want them to be. And you know, being able to talk with other people that are in the same boat with you really helps. And you know, and even things such as you know, learning from a parent's perspective. I was, you know, I had the pleasure of having Moore McCarthy on, and she wrote this wonderful book about raising teens with diabetes and. Um, you know, to be able to have her on and talk with her firsthand as parent to parent was just thrilling. And and it's funny because you you kind of said that they were you know like the superstars of that I've had on. And it it was funny because I got to meet uh, one of them in person. I got to meet Scott Johnson, and I totally felt like I was meeting a rock star. You know, I was like all nervous. Oh my gosh, she's you know just because they are such great people in this this community and. And you are exactly right. They've really kind of figured out how to use Twitter, how to use Facebook, how to use other mediums to really connect with community. Uh, yeah, when you reached out to me to, to be a part of uh, to be part of your roundtable, I think that was the week that Carrie Sparling was going to be on your show to talk about her book, um, and she was one of the first people that I connected with in that community. Um, and I can't believe it's been five, six, seven years ago uh, when she kind of got started, and uh, she's just everywhere now. So um, that, that's just a super community. And um, um, when people ask me about you know you know what a what an online community should be like. I definitely direct it to, to them. Um, uh, oh, I was going to uh, reflect on what you said about, you know, finding, you know, like a facility. And uh, I, I have a, a friend of mine who is a social worker uh, in Akron, Ohio, which I know you were familiar with that, that part of the world. Uh, and, and, uh, and she talked about the same thing from her standpoint as a social worker. Uh, working with uh, geriatric patients and older patients, and 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 when they need to find a a facility, a short term or a long term, uh, it is it is in a uh, uh, it is in crisis, and uh, that is a really good point because you know when I take care of um, those patients, I mean that that's usually what it is, and 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 navigating through that myriad of paperwork and insurance and approvals and pre-approvals and this and that and, and what this facility can do, what that facility can do, and how many days. It's, it's very, very daunting. Um, so I definitely uh, know what you're talking about because, you know, families, they just want their loved one taken care of and, and you know, making these big decisions uh, usually is, is very overwhelming uh, to them. And unfortunately, uh, and I know you've seen this too, is that sometimes there's only, you know, one family member that's willing to do it or, or the rest of the family is, does not want to be involved. And uh, it's very, very frustrating, uh, not only from, from the, the, the patient or the client's perspective, but from the, the family dynamic as well, it can be very, very uh, uh, frustrating uh, and a lot of emotions are out there when they're trying to deal with this acute situation. You know what, you hit, you hit the nail on the head and I think what's wrapped up in this decision-making process as well is there's often promises that are made that 
that we should have never made in the first place. And and what I mean by that is often we see, you know, a spouse comes in and says, I ne- I promised my wife that I would never place her in a nursing home. Yeah. And, and and along with that promise comes all of this guilt that now because I can't physically take care of her in my home, now I'm placing her in a place that I promised that she would never go. So not only are there, you know, the emotions of it being in a crisis or, you know, which place do I go to, which place do I pick, oh, I can't go to this one because, you know, they don't take care of wounds or or whatever the situation may be. When that guilt is wrapped up in it, I think it becomes even more excruciating for the family to really make a great decision. And, you know, that's hopefully one of the gifts that I'll give my children is that I'm not going to have them, pro- I'm not going to make them promise that they'll never put me in a nursing home. However, I do know which child will come visit me in the nursing home <laughs> when, that, when that happens. But, you know, I think, I think those are the things that, you know, um, we don't realize what's going to ha- happen later in life. And sometimes those decisions are made not only for the health of the person that's sick, but also for the health of the person that's well. Um, and and we'll dive in so as we as we talk talk about this roundtable. I did want to ask you one more question about about social media and and uh, your experience uh, with it. And um, you know, kind of I know it's an ongoing learning process, but but up to this point <laughs> in time, what, what kind of well, what have you learned about yourself or what have you learned about some of these topics uh, during this process? We, we talked before the show about, you know, we're kind of alike and we just dive into things and just do it and if it, you know, we have a mistake. And, uh, but but uh, at this point in time, I mean, I, I, as you've you know, done your shows and been contacting people, what kind of stuff have you learned up to this point? You know, that that's a really interesting question. I think one... I think one of the hardest decisions for me to make was, if I'm going to do this, what media should I work with, especially because most of what I talk about is senior-related. And, you know, and I think that was part of the reason I did want to go with radio as well, because I think, uh, you know, a lot of seniors are used to listening to talk radio and things of that nature, and it seemed like a good a good place for them to start with. Um, you know, as I go through this whole process, I do. I will try things out. You know, I um, I had a show where, you know, I've really worked to try to get uh, people involved in the show. So I've done things where at the same time as the show's going on, I'm trying to do kind of like a Twitter chat with questions. And, you know, oh. after doing that, yeah, and it was, you know, and of course it was, it was you know, it was a 30-minute show, but I was so tired afterwards trying to make sure I was on point with the questions and then reading Twitter, and, you know, then I was like, okay, I can't do that unless I have a co-host. So, you know, I've learned some of those things and, and definitely learned how to, you know, learning to make those decisions as, okay, I've got Twitter, I have Facebook. Is Pinterest really important for me to be on? Well, you know, I know people are going to Pinterest, but do I have time to keep it up? So looking at, you know, how do I want to be on all of them and not be able to post as much? Do I want to start writing blogs more? So, you know, and it is something that I kind of, you know, I try some things out. I'm seeing that the one thing I like about Facebook is that I can really interact with people. One thing I like about Twitter is that I can really let people know about things. So I'm starting to learn how they're useful for me and my 
pe- the people that follow me. So it's, and I'm learning that you have to be consistent. And I think that's sometimes the hardest thing because even like you said, you know, at the beginning of the show, life gets in the way. So being consistent can be really difficult. And, you know, I always want to try to craft my messages in a way that people will understand what I'm saying and that it's useful for them. So, you know, then your mind has to think through all these things, and I'm sure that's a process that you go through as well. But I've tried to be very consistent with the show, and I think that's, that's where I've had success, at least, at least for me. Uh, I, I should share with my audience that um, you know you and I have been corresponding through email, but but uh, you know just right now is the first time we're talking, and uh, this is very exciting because it's it's um, uh, you know it's 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 a lot of similar things um, that us radio hosts go through, uh, and, um, <laughs> uh, and, and yeah, it, that, that was kind of my idea when I started too. Is that you know I, I I've always I always wanted to. I always told people I had a taste for radio, so uh, that's why I, <laughs> so do uh, I. <laughs> I, don't, I don't do YouTube that much. Uh, but uh, so yeah, I mean th- th- those are those are all the things that you should be thinking about um, as as far as you know how to get your message out and, and try you know not to be try to be committed but not overcommitted because there are an infinite amount of uh, social media platforms that are out there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we, we should we should definitely dialogue after this because I can uh, I can share with you all of my mistakes and and uh, you can, and you I would love to hear all of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so my guest on the line is uh, Tammy Newman, a certified dementia practitioner and a moderator uh, for this uh, roundtable discussion that's coming up on Sunday, May 18 at 3 p.m. Eastern time uh, about dementia, and you can get more information and register at conversations-in-care.com. Uh, so, Tammy, let's, let's kind of dive into this here. So uh, thank you so much for, for reaching out to me and, and having me uh, be a part of this. Uh, it, it's very exciting for me to uh, you know, to be a part of this. And uh, you know, when people go to the website, uh, they'll see, you know, very nice graphics. Uh, it, it's really nicely laid out. Um, and um, so tell people what, uh, to expect, what, what what do you want the audience to get out of this roundtable discussion when they come and listen to it on Sunday, May 18th? Absolutely, and I'm I'm doing a little bit of a, a different format for me, and you know, uh, like you said, I I too have a face for radio, so stepping out and doing something that's uh, uh, video is something that I've been you know trying to challenge myself with, so that's. So it's going to be a webcast, and the concept to me, we're, we're going to be talking about the importance of getting an accurate dementia diagnosis. And the reason I kind of wanted to start a show by talking about this, this topic is that I think there's a couple of things that happen. When someone goes in and maybe sees um, maybe their family doctor or family physician, oftentimes they get the diagnosis of dementia. And sometimes there's not follow-up for whatever reason or going out to a neurologist to maybe see what, you know, what else that they can learn about this because I think it is important for people to understand there's a difference between the word dementia and a difference between the word Alzheimer's. And 
I want to talk about that, and I want to talk about why, you know, okay, so we know the person has dementia, so we know that their memory is starting to fail them. So why is it important to get an accurate diagnosis to know whether it's Alzheimer's versus something like frontotemporal degeneration? And, you know, some of the, the, the important things there lie in the fact that how we may help to treat Alzheimer's is going to be vastly different than how we help to treat frontotemporal degeneration. And I think it's important to kind of start with some of the, 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 the basics and the understanding of where the diagnosis comes from and why you as a family physician, why would you refer them on to a neurologist? Why is that an important appointment? And um, the other guest, uh, Stephanie Sinks, she is a geriatric care manager. And I think it's important for us to understand how someone like her could really be helpful in helping the family to kind of navigate this whole new world that they're, they're going to be kind of jumping into once the family gets that diagnosis. Um, and, you know, from my standpoint um, as a physician, um, you know, it's, it's um, I, don't, I, I need to be seeing these type of appointments more um, I see some, but not a lot. Um, and we touched on it earlier in the show. Is, is it? Do you believe it is because of the of the perception out there in the public of this diagnosis that that um, people or families um, don't want to talk about it at all, or don't want to talk about it with their doctor? Um, is that kind of your experience, or that's what you've seen with people avoiding this type of question? Well, and. I think it's some of that, and I think the other piece of the puzzle is, you know, especially depending on how often you see your loved one, you might think that, oh, this is normal aging. This is the normal aging process. Oh, she's forgetful because she's 80. And and sometimes, oftentimes, you know, within the industry, we tend to see a lot of people going, being admitted into memory care communities in January. And the reason we see that happen is the family that lives away all of a sudden comes to visit mom or dad or, you know, aunt or uncle at Christmas time. And because they've been away and now they're in the home, they're seeing all these different signs and symptoms. So one, I think it depends on where the person, you know, who's that person in contact with, number one. Number two, I think in society we, we also think, oh, they're aging, that's just normal. And I, I think a good understanding of what's normal aging versus what is really a memory impairment and why, why that's significant to know that because there's some, you know, and as you know as a physician, there's some safety issues that could be in, involved in all of that. So, you know, and then I think the, the third reason is especially if, if I'm the person that's experiencing that memory loss. And in the first stages, you know, they know something's going on, but they don't know exactly what's happening. And oftentimes, you, the person, you, how often do we want to tell anybody that our memory is failing? That's not on the top of our list. We really want to try to hide that as long as possible. And I think that happens more often than, than we really even know. Uh, and I think um, another thing that is very important for anybody, but especially uh, for seniors, um, is the ability to maintain their independence. Um, um, 
and you know there's always issues that that come up is you know should they be driving should they be staying by themselves should mom and dad should be staying by themselves um, and those are questions that that you know family members um, it, it, they're hard to address. They're hard questions, and they tiptoe them around them. And especially if it's a big family, it's like, oh, well, who is the family member that is going to bring it up, or who's responsible for mom and dad, or aunt and uncle? And um, those are really, really hard questions for families. You know, they're very difficult questions. And then if you have those very difficult questions, and then you layer into that any family dynamic into that it makes it so much harder. You know, I've I've seen families where, you know, they didn't get along with mom or dad, so there's a lot of hesitancy to even be involved in whatever's going on in their lives. So it's I, I think there's so many things to navigate when we come to this point in time. You know, there's denial, there's dynamics, there's, you know, um so many different things and you're right. We it's very difficult as a child to sit down and have that conversation and say we need to take the keys away. And taking the keys away is such a difficult thing because when you start taking the car away, you've really changed how independent that person is. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I uh, I mean, I deal with that every day, and and uh, I don't have any great advice uh for how how to deal with that i mean that's just uh um it's just fairly tough especially if um you know that this is an area of the country where where um you know a lot of older people are and the younger people have uh moved away for whatever reason and uh, there are some friends uh that are around maybe some family members and uh um you know sometimes you know they don't you know, come to the doctor's office, or, or sometimes we have to try to track them down, or or try to contact them. But you know, from my standpoint, try to maintain you know patient privacy and all those complicated type of issues. Uh, right. Um, right. It's just a lot of things that are just going on. Yeah, I would agree, and I think that's very difficult for um, physicians, and then. You know, just as you said, you know, with HIPAA and privacy acts and then, you know, do they have a durable power of attorney in place? Who is the person that would be their medical durable power of attorney? And who is the financial uh, durable power of attorney? Who are the people in place to make these decisions? So it's, you know, um, I I wish this was a lot more easier and clear cut. And and I think that's why I, I really want to, try to advocate that we educate as many people as possible about the disease, about, you know, even things as simple as what are some of the warning signs and, you know, what's normal aging versus age, you know, um, you know, um, age-related changes in, in, in cognition versus something that would be disease-related. So, I think the more we can educate ourselves, the you know hopefully this would be an easier job for you to help those patients and those family members. Uh, and I work with our, our local uh, Alzheimer's or, uh, Association, um, mm-hmm. and uh, they do a great job uh, nationwide. Uh, are there other um, groups uh, that you would recommend kind of people reach out to to get more information on on a topic like this? You know, I, I, there's 
There's definitely in different areas, different organizations. In um, I currently live in the Northwest Indiana area, and we have a great Alzheimer's um, association. But we also have another um, Alzheimer's group here in the area that is just in Northwest Indiana. So it's it's a group of families that came together and realized that there was a need in this area. Because oftentimes uh, things will happen in Indianapolis, but not in this corner section uh, close to Illinois. So we're kind of in no man's land at times because things happen in Chicago and things happen in India Indianapolis, but they don't happen here. So this group really realized that there was a, a need for education, for you know raising money for research and and constantly educating people and uh, it's it's a great group and one of the first things that I do suggest is to um, and I and I know I go straight to the Alzheimer's Association but they have this website that is just pretty phenomenal so if you start at www.alz.org there's a lot of really easy to understand information about about dementia about Alzheimer's about a few of the other types of dementia it runs you through a, a great lesson on the brain and what's happening in the brain and why these things are happening. And there's some communication techniques and things of that nature. But they also have a wonderful 1-800 number. And this 1-800 number, you call it, it's the same number across the United States, but when you call this number, what happens is that it, it, it connects you with your area uh, Alzheimer's Association. And what's nice about that phone number is they have a this help center, for lack of a better term. And this help center will help you to find support groups, which could be some that the Alzheimer's Association have been putting on, which are support groups for caregivers. They have um, early stage support groups for people that have been diagnosed and they're in the early stages, so they have a support group. They have a great library. They have all sorts of information for you in that area. So that would be the first place that I, I would start. And, and I'm going to actually, if you don't mind, I'd like to give their 1-800 number because it, it sure. is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week helpline. So it's 1-800-272-3900. And what will happen wherever you're calling from, it will connect you to your local Alzheimer's Association. And if you're looking for, you know, sometimes people need um, adult daycare. You know, maybe they're still able to take care of mom or dad, but during the day while they're at work, they really need somebody to watch them. So they're able to really kind of, anything that you're looking for, they're really able to kind of help you find some of that. So that is just because I think, you know, and I don't know how big your listenership is, but there are so many different things in so many different areas that that would probably be the first place I would call. Um, I guess on the line is uh, certified dementia practitioner Tammy Newman, um, who is the host of the Block Talk Radio Show uh, Conversations and Care here on the network and also uh, moderator for uh, this roundtable uh, discussion coming up on Sunday, May 18 at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, and you can register for it. It is free. Uh, you can go to uh, conversations-in-care.com, and uh, I will be a part of that uh, as well. Um, so, Tammy, in our remaining moments, um, I did want to ask you about your son, um, and I did want you ask you to maybe share a little bit about your story, about you know what's it like 
you know, being a mom uh, to someone who has type 1 diabetes and, and, and how he's doing and, and uh, all that good stuff? Yeah, um, my son was diagnosed a little over two years ago um, when he was 12 years old, um, and it was definitely um, quite a shock to us. You know, I, I really didn't know anything about type 1 diabetes. I know a lot more <laughs> now. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and it was funny because I, I didn't put the symptoms together right away until, you know, some of the symptoms that he was having, it, you know, it happened in January. So he was complaining of stomach pain all the time in January, and I thought it had to do with, you know, he didn't want to go back to school after Christmas, and I'm like, just go to school. I, you know, you're, you know, that typical mom thing you do with your children. You know, and, and that was one of the symptoms that I didn't know was the, the stomach pains that he had. And, you know, but then I would hear him. I'm a single parent, so I would hear him in the middle of the night, and, He'd be going to the bathroom, and he'd get up a lot, and, you know, it was, you know, he'd be in the bathroom for a long time, and, but then I'd fall asleep, and I'd wake up, and, you know, there was one time I was driving home from work, and he said, Mom, can you, can you stop by and get me a big gulp? I want that really big one, you know, so I, of course, go and get a Coca-Cola, like a 64-ounce Coca-Cola, and, (laughs) you know, (laughs) wonderful, right? (laughs) (laughs) And. Uh, you know, he drinks it down in a matter of a minute. You know, wow. so it took it took me a while to kind of figure those things out. And then I had taken him into the doctors, and you know, it was in January. They're like, we just think he's got the flu bug. You know, they gave us some uh, Zofran for his stomach. And then about two weeks later, I noticed, he, you know, I could start to see the um, the bones in his wrist. I'm like, he's losing weight. So. Um, so then I went to the doctors and, and I started putting everything, you know, as they were asking questions, I started putting all of that together and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, oh my God, (laughs) you know, like, like having this realization while sitting there, you know, and from that point they took his blood sugar. It was in the high 400s, you know, we were sent to, um, uh, a local hospital where they started some IVs. But then because where we live, we ended up, uh, any of the local hospitals in this area, they don't handle the, the pediatric type 1. So we ended up having to get transported to uh, Lori Children's Hospital in Chicago. So we ended up spending four days there while he got better and we were educated. And then, you know, four days later, we're sent home with syringes and insulin and two types of insulin and a meter and we have to check and we've now got to count carbs and we have to do this this major mathematical equation and let me tell you fifth grade math I barely passed fifth grade math (laughs) and then I'm sent home with this calculation for every time he eats that I have to calculate not only a correction for his blood sugar if it's over a certain number but you know how many carbs is he eating and what's that ratio and how much insulin am I going to give him and you know, so definitely I would say our first our first year was, um, uh, our first six months was very rocky. I was very, I was very afraid and he was very mad. And those two, <laughs> two emotions mixing together don't always mix very well. So 
Um, then things, you know, he started to kind of adapt to it. We were able to get him on the pump in, in this past December, which has definitely been a godsend for, especially for a teenager. I think for anybody, it, it kind of streamlined the whole entire process for him. Um, you know, we, we had a slight setback here um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, it was kind of a... Um, he ended up uh, being in the hospital for a few days, uh, but you know we're 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 managing, we're figuring this out, we're we're learning new skills every day. I, you know, and luckily, as we talked about earlier, I have this wonderful uh, online community, the the DOC, and it, it's so wonderful to be able to have a place that when I wake up at two o'clock in the morning to take his blood sugar and I'm trying to get his blood sugar down or I'm trying to wake him up to, to have him eat something because his blood sugar is low, I have a place to go online. Uh, there's a, a great um, Facebook uh, page just for parents of type 1 diabetics. And it's a great place to go and say, okay, I'm not sure what to do. Or, you know, my son is being a, teen, a typical teenager today and he doesn't want to take his insulin, so what do I do now? So it's great to have other people that have been in my shoes and in his shoes to really help us along. And, you know, one of the other things that I really want to say that has been, you know, helpful for him and if there's other parents with, with children with diabetes, since um, his diagnosis every year has, he's been able to go to uh, diabetes camp. And this is something that... Oh, that's great. I be- yeah, it, it's, it's wonderful. You know, if we look at, at him and his school, there's him and maybe three other people that have type 1 diabetes. Now when he goes to camp, every single child that goes to camp has type 1 diabetes. So he gets to spend a whole entire week without me, you know, in his ear, did you take your insulin? You know, did you bolus for this? Did you count your carbs? So, you know, now he's with other kids and they can, you know, I'm sure they, they bash the parents, which is, you know, they need to do that for a week. And, and have fun, and they can do activities and be silly, and you know, um, you know, create songs about diabetes and and all that kind of stuff, and really connect with other kids that are going through the same thing that they are. So it's um, he gets to go on on June eighth, and you know, and and then it becomes a respite week for me. That's the week where I get to sleep. I sleep in all week long. <laughs> you know, do all all those things that you know I don't get to do during uh, the rest of the year. So. That's a little bit about about us. Wow, that's great. That's great. Thank you for sharing your story. Uh, um, uh, Tammy, I'll, I'm, I'm going to ask you uh, in a little bit uh, for, for some closing thoughts uh, for, for our audience here this evening, but I do want to, again, um, help uh, uh, mention where people can uh, find you. Uh, and uh, Tammy Newman has been my guest, certified uh, dementia practitioner, has been in the uh, long-term, long-term healthcare industry for 15 years. Uh, and um, you can find her on Block Talk Radio at blocktalkradio.com slash conversations and care. And uh, they're on Twitter at care radio. Uh, but again, I did want to mention this uh, virtual roundtable discussion, uh, Sunday, May 18 at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Uh, Central. Uh, conversations in dementia care, uh, and it is free. You just have to register at uh, conversations-in-care.com. You can get all the information over there. Um, I'm very excited to be a, a part of that. Um, and um, 
and you just heard her share a story um, about um, being caregiver to her son with uh, type 1 uh, diabetes. Uh, so, Tammy, as we close up the show here this evening, thank you so much for being on. Um, what closing thoughts do you have uh, from our audience this evening about uh, dementia or long-term care or being a parent to uh, uh, a child with a chronic disease? Uh, uh, what do you have for us to close things up tonight, Tammy? Um, that, that's a really great question, and you know, and I'm I'm very thankful that you're you were kind enough to let me be on the show, and and, and I'm very excited to have you on the roundtable as well. And, and I think, you know, maybe the, my biggest word at this point in time would be education. And I think that goes for, for whatever it is that you're facing. And, you know, and obviously right now I, I'm talking about dementia and, and diabetes. And that's one of the things I think sometimes we're very fearful of something. And I think until we get ourselves educated and know what's going to happen or what's in the future or to understand the process of a disease or, you know, looking at how can we manage some of the symptoms, how can we still communicate and have some great interactions or, you know, even things in regards to diabetes, understanding how to manage that on a day-to-day basis. And and I think education is is a key and I think that goes for you know any other autoimmune or chronic disease or even being diagnosed with cancer that's that's my platform is education making sure that you're out there and and I think the other piece of that puzzle is really finding a way to support yourself whether it's being able to find that support in an online community through social media or whether it's, you know, in person finding that support or, you know, making sure you have friends and places or family that can really help you out. And, and, and I have to, and I just want to kind of go back to the, the concept of social media, and, and I know that's something that you talk a lot about. And I think one of the greatest things I love about the diabetes online community is that there's ways for people to connect wherever they're comfortable. So if they're most comfortable in just listening to a radio program about something, or if they're more comfortable about being on a Twitter chat where they can talk to someone, or they can call into a show, or they can just read something, wherever they're comfortable, they're able to really connect in some way. And I think that's what's amazing about the Internet today and with social media that you can take it at your pace and you can connect in the way that is most beneficial to you. So, you know, I encourage people to go out there and, you know, Google something and you're, it'll be amazing to see what you can find out there. Um, it's hard to believe that uh, it's been like almost an hour uh, that we've been chatting. Uh, and, uh, uh, and I know, and we talked before the show, that uh, you know, being a host and being a guest are two totally uh, different things. Uh, <laughs> yes. And uh, you did a great job here uh, tonight. Uh, but, uh, and, and you said you've been trying to get into more into interviews. Uh, how do you think uh, things went here tonight? I thought it went really well. It, you know, it, it, I really, I was a little nervous because I'm very used to being on your side of the table and, and asking those questions and, you know, uh, controlling things. And, you know, I didn't have much control over what was happening other than, you know, being on my toes to answer your questions. So, um, and maybe that begs to question if I have some control issues. But, you know, that's for another show <laughs> on another day. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Uh, 
and yeah, you know, I mean, if uh, I'm happy, I'm happy to come on your show. You can turn the tables on me, and and uh, you could do the same thing. That 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 would be fun to do. And and uh, there's something that you said in your closing that uh, I should probably bring you back to to talk about. Um, you know, like self care. You know, self care for um, for parents or you know for professionals or practitioners for anybody who is doing this. I think that's something that we need to talk uh, more about because uh, you know we're we're so focused on our loved ones or on patients or on clients and and uh, I think I think we should really talk about self-care more and and I think that's kind of a taboo subject uh, but but I think it needs to be brought out more I would agree with you and you know I'm just going to make one more quick statement because there there was a um, uh, some research done in regards to a well spouse taking care of a sick sick spouse is specifically when it comes to Alzheimer's and 60% 60% of the well spouses end up passing away before the sick spouse just purely because they're not taking care of themselves. Yeah. They're putting all that time into taking, t- taking care of the sick spouse. So I think there's a lot to be said in that research that we really need to figure out how we can, you know, whether it's supporting someone or supporting ourselves in, in this journey of, of caregiving. Uh, I mentioned all your link, links. Did, did I uh, did I miss anything? Is there any other way that people can reach out and, and contact you, get more information, or anything like that? I think you've covered them all. If if somebody wants to uh, contact me directly, my they can definitely send me an email, and it's Tammy, which is spelled T A M I, at conversations hyphen in hyphen care dot com. All right, very good, and and we hope everybody uh, can join us uh, on Sunday at uh, 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Uh, Central, and uh, we'll be talking a lot more about this uh, topic. Uh, and uh, thank you so much for being on the show, Tammy. Thank you so much for having me, and I look forward to talking to you again on Sunday. Okay, thank you. Um, all right, kids. So I will have a short commentary. Um, right after this break here, and just 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 to update you what's what's been going on with me here. So we'll, we'll be right back here on the Maxwell Radio program right after this. Welcome back to the Mike Savilla Radio Program on a Thursday night here on the Blog Talk Radio Network, uh, com. So just kind of my uh, closing thoughts here uh, this evening. That was just a great conversation uh, with Tammy. And, uh, you know, um, that's something that I really miss uh, from this show. Um, you know, just trying to, just like her show says, conversations and care, trying to have conversations out there with people and when people 
talk to me about the podcast, talk to me about the show. That's something that they really enjoy. And um, that's something that I have to really get back to doing. You know, I mean, you know, I do like doing, you know, like nice long monologues about stuff. Um, but I really have to really try to get back to doing that. And, and you know, I, people who've seen the website, my Twitter feed, you know, they've seen or you guys have seen out there that, that I've been to a lot of family medicine meetings, family medicine advocacy meetings, talking with people. Uh, and that's something that I really want to bring to all of you here on the podcast. So I'm really going to try to, um, you know, make an effort, uh, just like Tammy said, to uh, be more regular in the production of this show, in the production of this podcast. And I already have people in mind that I want to interview, not just in the family medicine community. Um, I've made a lot of good friends uh, recently uh, in other communities out there. Yes, there are other communities out there uh, in the social media, especially in, in the, the mental health community, um, uh, in other communities out there, advocacy communities. And uh, uh, that's something I really miss about this show is, is to talk with people and to share that with all of you because I think all of you would really uh, benefit from that um, as well. And uh, I've been really energized uh, with my uh, recent uh, family medicine uh, meetings uh, and talking with people and uh, getting them angry, getting them upset, getting them inspired uh, to uh, to do stuff, and I have some plans. I have some plans in my head about how to kind of resurrect the show. Um, you know, I've had 300 episodes, but I've been doing like one a month. Uh, so uh, I do have some plans in my head. It just it, but it does it does take time. It does take time for me to kind of block that out and to try to reorganize uh, everything uh, to do that. But uh, but I really I really miss this. I really miss the conversation. I really miss interviewing people. Um, and people say that you know, maybe I'm a good interviewer or that I talk to people or whatever, but, you know, I'm a family doc. You know, I mean, we're supposed to talk to people. I mean, that's kind of cool, isn't it? Uh, so, but again, I want to thank everybody again for your support of the show, your, my, your support of, you know, of you know, the website and Twitter and uh, doing a lot of Twitter chats uh, recently. So, uh, so thanks all of you uh, for your continued support of me and my social media projects. And, and uh, I want to do more for you. I want to do, you know, share more of, of uh, what I can do out there in social media uh, to talk about, you know, things like advocacy, things like patient education, things like, you know, whatever. Uh, so, um, so this is fun. This is fun. It's just, it reminded me how fun uh, this podcast is. So thanks everybody again for, for all that you do for, to support me and my social media projects. And I try to, try to pay it forward and, uh, uh, try to support all of you as well. Uh, so that ends my show here, uh, this evening. So thanks everybody uh, for joining me again. Uh, thanks to my guest. Uh, for uh, for the chat here this evening. Uh, my name is Mike Sevilla. You can check me out at drmikesevilla.com, and that gives you all of my links out there on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and, and Pinterest, which I don't use, but <laughs> all that stuff out there. Uh, so have a good week. Have a good weekend, and we'll talk to you all very soon. Good night, everybody. <laughs>